Great, good morning. Please do keep that um, passage open, so Mark 9, page 1014. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do uh, praise you and thank you that you are a speaking God and that your word uh, is good. Lord, please would you uh, speak to us this morning uh, by your spirit. Please open this uh, passage up to us that we may uh, seek to follow and live for Jesus with all our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. I know almost nothing about art. It is one of the probably many areas where I am culturally fairly ignorant. Uh, And I was reminded of that this week when I uh, saw the news footage of Monet's water lilies arriving in London for uh, exhibition. I'd always thought the water lilies were a picture that you could hang in your living room and look at, provided you're rich enough, of course. But it turns out that the painting is made up of three huge panels, each about the size of a transit van. And you have to stand about 10 metres back just to have any kind of comprehension of what is going on in the picture, to have any idea of the beauty that it portrays. So if you go any closer, you just end up with a kind of zoomed in on a water lily. Not much good, not really, at what Monet intended. And the same really is true of of Mark's gospel, because Mark has really big ideas that he wants us uh, to understand. And we always need to consider, what is the big theme? What is the big picture that Mark is trying to portray here? And we definitely need to do that as we look at this difficult, perhaps outrageous, you might think, uh, passage, this teaching of Jesus this morning. What is the big picture of Mark's Uh, gospel. It's this, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God's expected king who is at work in the world to establish his kingdom with power. And one day, the same Jesus who is there with his disciples will return in his father's glory. His work will be completed and he will gather all of his people in. But confusingly for the disciples, Jesus has said that he enters that kingdom via his death on a cross. So each time Jesus says he must suffer, he must die, the disciples, they just don't get it. How could God's king possibly die? But he must do so because that is the way in which a way is opened up into into God's kingdom. He is a servant king. But more than that, Jesus has been teaching, as we've seen, that the only way for anyone, anyone to enter the kingdom of God, is to live in, the lo- in a life of service of the same king and the message of the cross. So we saw last week, didn't we, how the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest, who's the main man, who's the top dog. What does Jesus say in response? Greatness comes through service. In the upside-down kingdom of God, the first must be last. People who belong to Jesus should be people who are serving others. We should welcome all, even the seemingly insignificant children even, who then had no power, no status, few rights. And Jesus continues this theme uh, of of service and of allegiance to him uh, in today's passage. So we've got this idea, you're either for Jesus or you're against him, verses 39 and 40. There is no neutral ground, no fence to sit on, no no man's land. And then look at verse 41. 
I'll tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus is is saying, I will reward those who serve my people. It is a wonderful truth. Jesus stands with his people, whatever isolation, whatever persecution, whatever they face. And Jesus, he rewards those who demonstrate loyalty to him by serving his people in his name. Even the small things matter. So we don't have to be great to be a servant of Jesus. We just need to be willing to stand with his people. So this gospel, this this good news that is emerging from the lips of Jesus, as Mark records it, is this, isn't it? It is the necessity of the death of Jesus. Jesus must suffer, he must die. And it's a necessity of people who belong to Jesus to lose their lives in service of this king, this kingdom, and this cross. So so really, the main strapline or the theme for this section of Mark's gospel is back in chapter 8, verse 35. 8, verse 35. For whoever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Question is, what does this look like? What does it look like to lose our lives for Jesus and for the gospel? Well, these verses, 42 to 50, they help us to understand something, I think, of the answer to that question. Because here Jesus is underlining his teaching on service. He's underlining the cause for which we're to invest our lives, and he shows us the cost of investing our lives with him. And he presents us, I think, with a challenge as well. So first, what is the cause of Christ? What is the cause of Christ? Andy Murray is right now on court in Australia, in the Australian Open final, probably getting annihilated by Djokovic. But um, no, I'm a big fan, don't get me wrong. But, but Murray caused a few eyebrows, didn't he, to be raised when he said that if his pregnant wife, Kim, goes into labour, he would be on the first plane home. Never mind the final, never mind the work, never mind the money, the, the trophies, all of that. It's the birth that matters the most. I had an interesting debate with Nikki about what I do in the unlikely event. <laughs> I were in such a final, I'm not going to go into it. So, uh, <laughs> but what is the cause that is closest to Jesus' heart? What is the cause closest to Jesus' heart? It is the cause of bringing those for whom he has died to himself. That is what matters most to Jesus. That is why Jesus left the glories of heaven, entered our world, died on a cross, and rose to life to bring people to himself. And that means we are to welcome even the least, particularly the least, into fellowship in his name. We welcome on the basis and the strength of his mercy and grace through the cross. Jesus died for all, young and old, rich and poor, great and lowly. And our job is to extend the grace of God, the death of Jesus, to all. That is the theme 
being underlined here. So what is it that brings the greatest displeasure or the greatest sadness or grief or anger to Jesus? Makes sense, doesn't it? It is if believers, if the little ones, as they referred to here, are caused to sin or turn away from him. Look at verse 42. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Hindering those who would come to faith in Jesus or causing those who believe in Jesus to sin or rebel is to set our face against Jesus. It is to set ourselves against his cause, against his kingdom, against him as king. That is how big a deal this is. Jesus' heart lies with saving those who we may think are of little worth, but who Jesus is calling to himself. And it lies in ensuring that believers are kept trusting in his love and away from sin and rebellion. What is the cause of Christ? To welcome, to serve, and to above all not cause those who believe in Jesus to rebel against him. If that is the cause, then what is the cost? What is the cost? The cost is ensuring that we live rightly before Christ. The the main principle from these verses is this. My sin will tend to cause others to sin. My sin will tend to cause others to sin. That is why Jesus moves from warning against causing others to stumble, in verse 42, to the issue of personal holiness. This is not a kind of change of tack or loss of thread. The two things are linked Do you see that in verse 43? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus is saying, be careful how you live. If you enter into sin, and it in turn leads others into sin and away from Jesus, then that will bring great grief to Jesus. The ifs here are linked, aren't they? If your hand, if your foot, if your eye, they're all linked to the if of verse 42. If anyone causes these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. The way we can live can lead others astray. The cost of the cause is ensuring we live rightly before Christ. The language here is shocking, isn't it? It is extreme Uh, language. And that is because Jesus wants to drive home his point. This is not an endorsement of literal self-harming. It's not an invitation to make an appointment with the eye surgeon at the NNN. It wouldn't solve the problem. You'd 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 have one limb and one eye left anyway. The point is this. There is something a whole lot worse than losing a limb or an eye. And that is facing 
God's judgment. That is the point Jesus is making. The Christian call is to live in such a way that others are helped and not hindered in their faith. And so that means we have to take sin seriously. So at times that will feel like we are losing a limb because we won't be able to go places and do things that the darker part of our hearts sometimes long to do. We will need to watch holding things, having things, watching things that lead us into sin. At times it will feel like we're losing our life because we will not be in the driving seat of our life. Jesus will be. Jesus says this is what is involved in a life of welcoming and sustaining people in the faith. But do you see wonderfully, do you see what flows from bearing the cost? Do you see that? If we bear the cost, if we're radical in self-denial, we enter life. We enter life. Do you see that in verse 43? It is better for you, the second half of 43, it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. Or 45, it is better for you to enter life crippled than have two feet and be thrown into hell. Or 47, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and so on. Are you ever tempted to wonder what is the point of living wholeheartedly for Jesus? Surely I can just compromise that bit here and there. Hey, other people seem to do it. They seem to get away with it. Nobody really seems to know. I can keep that part of my life for me. It won't really matter. Well, Jesus wants us to know here that it is not a waste of time living for him. He wants us to enter life. Jesus wants for us, above all things, what he died to secure for us. Life, eternal life, life with God forever Life in that eternal place where there is no more sickness or mourning or crying or pain, that place where everything will be made new, that place where God will wipe tears away from human eyes. That is the wonderful consequence of bearing the cost. We get to enter the kingdom. We know life in all its fullness, how we were made to be, in part now and in fullness later. But what is the other side of the coin? What is the consequence, if you like, of betraying the cause? It is an eternal loss. It is worse than death by drowning, worse than the loss of a limb or the loss of an eye. It is none other than death by fire, the fires of hell. Do you see that three times? Three times Jesus makes that point. Better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. Better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And to underline this point, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah, that that prophecy where Isaiah speaks of a new heaven 
and a new earth. And he describes the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against Jesus. And the prophecy says their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It is a terrible picture how serious it is to undo the cause of Christ for the salvation of men and women. So serious that it will bring an eternal loss. Just note that Jesus is speaking here to his followers, those who profess allegiance to him. A person who undermines the fate of others is treading a dangerous path. Hell is not something that we often talk about unless it features in a joke or perhaps a curse. It doesn't get much of a mention, I think, even, even in church. But hell is a subject that runs right through uh, Scripture. It runs right through the Bible. And it is a subject that Jesus, yes, compassionate, loving, forgiving, gentle Jesus, speaks about more than any other. Jesus surely does so for a reason, because we cannot fully appreciate the wonder of God's love and grace in Jesus without grasping what the Bible says about hell. Victor Hugo once said this, he said, life's great happiness is to be convinced that we are loved. The gospel does that. It convinces us that we are loved as we see the wonder of salvation set against the depths of our own need and our own sinfulness. We cannot appreciate, surely, what it is to be raised to the promise of heaven until we realise that we're raised there from the prospects of hell. Maybe you're here this morning and you just think, this is outrageous. Surely Jesus cannot mean this. Or perhaps you're thinking, but I, don't, I want to lead my life exactly as I want to. It's mine. It's mine. My time. My life. I don't want Jesus to have any part of it. Well, look at verse 49. Verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. The point Jesus is making in that verse is surely this. Either our lives are purified and salted now, or ultimately the fires of hell are a dreadful reality. So if we're Christian, there will be a work of purification in our lives that won't always be comfortable. The fire of the Holy Spirit, that will be at work in us. As a believer, there will be fires of trial which purify and refine faith. But the point is, either saltiness will characterise our life now, or it will characterise the fires of judgement later. Jesus is holding out here the prospect of entering life, wonderful, eternal life. And he's making clear the real alternative, which are the terrors of hell. Well, just as we finish, what, what of the challenge? What risks do we run if we're not vigilant as Christians? Just look at verse 50. 
Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. So if we don't take sin seriously, the risk is that we, we will lose our distinctiveness. We lose our saltiness, and salt that is not salty is not much good for preserving or enhancing flavour. I wonder if you sometimes ever look back to a time when the good news of Jesus somehow just seemed a bit more vivid or a bit more real in your life, a sort of golden age in your Christian life. I do sometimes. Perhaps in your 20s when you were a student, newly married, whatever time it was, that mission you were involved in. A time when the good news of the cross seemed so real that it dynamically shaped every part of your life, your priorities, your living, your serving. You just had an overwhelming desire to live for Jesus, but now it's just not the same. We just seem to have drifted that job, that bigger house, that warmer holiday that bigger bank balance, those things, they all just seem more important than they used to be. Life just seems more complicated. We seem a bit more distracted, less distinctive, less salty. Well, Jesus is appealing to us, don't lose our distinctiveness because it is hard to recover if we do. Do you see that? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again. Spiritual drift has a danger of being a one-way journey, not a return ticket. It will be hard to recover our keenness, our enthusiasm, our distinctiveness once that's been lost. Jesus is appealing, don't lose your saltiness. Be vigilant about sin. And the reason it's so important is because of the impact on others. That is the big theme here. The impact on others, that is the main theme. If we lose our saltiness, we may damage others. So let's make sure that we continue to live distinctively. Some of the simple things, make time to read the Bible and pray. That's not always easy. Commit to our life as a fellowship here at Trinity. Love and cherish each other. Even when at times that is very difficult. Serve with a generous heart. Share our faith with friends and others. Make that decision to be different. That stubborn area of life that we know we need to tackle. Make a decision to do so. Our drift, our absence of saltiness, our compromise, in the end that will be the undoing of others. I am still here. You are still here. But have we drifted? By contrast, finally, what will our saltiness lead to? Just look at verse 50. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt will lead to peace among believers. It's notable, isn't it, that that this section of Mark's gospel begins with the disciples arguing amongst themselves about who is the top dog as we saw last week, and it ends with Jesus saying, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. I wonder if the implication 
is this. Be distinctively at work for Jesus. And it is amazing how many arguments that will put out. If we unite in the work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, it's amazing how much dissension and dissatisfaction will be quelled. I wonder if there is a lesson for us there, for a church family at this time. Be distinctive for your sake and the sake of all who look to us. For the sake of our life together as a church, people look to us. Let's not let them down. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus, for the salvation that he won for us, for the servant king that he is. And Lord God, we pray that we may grasp something of what it means to be a servant of that king, a servant of the cross. Lord, please would you help us by your spirit to to live in a distinctive way, to live in a way that is honouring to you and brings glory to Jesus' name and brings others into the faith as they look at us and see something unusual, something different, something distinctive is at work there. Lord, please be at work to change us by the power of your Spirit in a way that we can never do ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.